When we got down to Shreveport, it seemed like every other preacher would say, I want you to know! And he'd say this. And I want you to know! And he'd say that. And I've got this city boy's attention. I want you to know that we have a God who knows all about us. He's got us covered. Anywhere, anytime, anywhere, anyhow. Please open your Bible to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. There is a word that appears oh, half a dozen or so times in your Bible that you might think is a misprint. But it ain't. It is a word that you won't hear too, too often. And if you don't have the King James Version, you probably don't even have this word at all. Because it's one of those words, like won't, that you don't hear too often. Or, as the song leader at the Memphis Church used to talk about, hoping the Lord will open his people. Can't say I heard people talk that way much. Verse 50, uh, chapter 52, verse 12. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go with you before you, and the God of Israel will be your reward. Now you all know what the reward is, don't you? You throw that word around all the time, don't you? So what's it mean? If the Lord is our reward, uh that's got to be important if the Lord is that to us. Now, sometimes I use Mr. Cheater. And I said, I'm going to look at Mr. Cheater, Mr. Franklin. This is a nice, sort of a strong importance. But it's short, he exhausted. I pushed in the reward, the last word in the verse we just read. And every verse it gave me had the word reward. I guess whoever put this together thought that reward was a misspelling or some such thing as that. But it is not a misspelling. It's not a misprint. You know, some people might think a reward, that means you get a reward and then they do it again. That's a reward. No, no, that's that's not what it means. It's a beautiful way to let us know that God has us covered. That's why as Marcia is saying, He's everything to me. We talk about how the Lord is with us, and He is! Praise God! We looked last week at His prevenient grace. At least one person stopped me after the message last week and said, I've never heard a sermon on prevenient grace. But I have not. It's true. Because 
long before you came to know the Lord and the free part of your sin. He was preparing the way. Way back in eternity past, God the Father had a plan and a program and a purpose and a person. And of course that all fulfilled in Christ who came at the appointed time and spoke as He would speak and behaved as the Lord would have Him to behave ultimately to die that we might live. He, through His poverty, has made us rich. And then, of course, the role, the office of the Holy Spirit is to speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, give us new life, and encourage us. And that's what the re-reward, talking about how that not only has He gone before, not only is He with us now, but what about what's coming up behind? I was watching a movie about colonial times, and there was a fellow who was a Native American. He was supposed to be their guide, their buddy, and he leads them right into an ambush. He goes in front of them, and they're lining up going through the woods, and at such and such a point, he turns around and goes to the back and pulls out his tomahawk and ah! gets the last guy in line. So there isn't a last guy. There isn't a caboose anymore. So he ah! gets the next one. Ah! Gets, and before the men realize it, they not only are concerned about the enemy ahead and the enemy beside, but the enemy coming up behind. When Israel had gotten to the brink of the Red Sea, they said, we can't go forward. We can't go to the left. We can't go to the right. We can't go up. We can't go down. Oh, no. We can't go back either. We need some protection. Well, the Lord is our re-reward. Now, in this text, it talks just a little bit about what we talked about last week, that idea that he has gone before, the prevenient grace. Did you catch that? For the Lord will go before you. You see, the word prevent means, in the King James era, to go before. Now, when I was a little kid, I'd hear old Smokey the Bear. And he'd say, only you can prevent forest fire. And so I came to learn that prevent means to keep it from happening. But the Lord isn't just one who might keep catastrophe from coming. He is the one who goes before. He prepares the way. Job 23.10, he knoweth the way that I take. Before you take a step, the Lord already knows. Before you say a word, the Lord has already heard. The Lord knows everything about your future. He has a knowing and He has a going. It speaks of the Good Shepherd in John 10. It says He goeth before. That doesn't just mean He would lead the sheep, which He did. But before He take them, 
on their journey, he would scope it out. He would look for the best grass and the coolest waters. He would clear out the paths of all the junk, rubbish, the stuff that might block those poor little sheep, the things that might spook those sheep. He goes before. And that's what we mean by His prevenient grace. Now there's a passage in Exodus. I may in a while just come back and just do a whole message on that where the Lord has told Moses and Moses tells the Hebrews, when you go into the land, I'm not just going to turn you loose and say, have at it, boys. No. He would prepare things. I won't give it to you in one fell swoop. We had a neighbor who had an emerald green Lincoln Continental. When he died, he left it to his 17-year-old grandson. Before he graduated high school, boy, he was cool, driving up there, bitten high in his emerald green Lincoln Continental. I'm afraid some of that went to his head. Sometimes the reason God doesn't dump a big bag of money in your lap because he knows you can't handle it. So he gives us as he knows we can handle. That's why it says, give us this day our daily bread. I don't need the whole bakery. Just give me what I need for this day. And we've already considered how it is that God's people have known of and taken great confidence in his prevenient grace. When Abraham went to his servant, we talked about this a little last week, he turned to that servant and says, the wife and I want a bride for Isaac. And I want you to go back to the land of our fathers. And I want you to find the woman that God has prepared to be the bride for my son. The Lord will go before you. And he was convinced of that. Joseph said in the 45th of Genesis, when his brothers were alone in a room with him. He had all the folks go out. And he says, I am Joseph! And he says, God sent you here. It was God's purpose. We think they were operating just willy-nilly anyway they feel like. But it was God who arranged all of that. When you know that it's God and not the machinations of wicked men, hopefully we can appreciate it because God has a great purpose. Don't just quote Romans 8.28 when you get in a tight. At all times, we know that all things work together for good. As Joseph told them again after their father had died in the 50th chapter, you, your mind, your purpose was to get rid of me. You made for evil. God knew all along what you were going to say, what you were going to do, how you were going to act. And you thought that you were doing your will. But God allowed you to do that. Okay, He had a greater purpose. You meant it for evil and God meant it for good. 
in first time first Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12 reminded how that great prophet that priest that judge Samuel said fellas I want you to stack up some stones here and I've got got a name for that stack of stones it's Ebenezer we say Ebenezer we hear Ebenezer we think of a tightwad in a story by Dickens but Ebenezer is a good name you know sometimes you hear a name and you haven't heard that name in a while by the way that first song we said 198 Erastus Johnson over there when's the last time you had a guy named Erastus it's not a name you hear a lot but I'll bet when he was alive Erastus Johnson people knew who he was Ebenezer means stone of help. You know why they were to call it Ebenezer? Hitherto, up till now, the Lord has been our help. We weren't dependent on the government. We weren't dependent on our ancestors. We weren't dependent upon the bags of money or the flocks and the herds we had. It's the Lord who has gotten us through. In the 37th Psalm, David says, I once was young, now I'm old. And he'd seen a lot of stuff. But there's one thing he hadn't seen, and he tells us, he says, I have not seen the righteous forsaken. God does not forsake his dear, his precious people. Even though they might turn their back on him, even though they may say to heaven, talk to the hand, I don't want to hear it. Get off my back. How dare men talk that way to God? But they do. Sometimes the people in the mirror see themselves as those and do. May we be submissive. We think we can stand on our own? Well, not so much. It's not a question of pride. We ought to have holy boldness because we know who the Lord is. <coughs> not a boldness in ourself. That's what we need to know. And uh, all those I mentioned already are Old Testament characters, but who more than Paul speaks to me and hopefully to you from the New Testament. In Acts 23, it tells us how that Paul, he had had a lot of adventures and sometimes it was pretty rugged he didn't, didn't sit, sit behind a desk someplace and pontificate no they had some troubles they had some trials and sometimes we get shook up we wonder well let's look as I said down verse 11 of Acts 23 because, humanly speaking, Paul was likely shaken in his boots. His knees were probably knocking together. And the Lord spoke to him. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, that was in his past, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Paul, in his flesh, did 
know if he was ever going to make it to Rome. The Lord said, you will. You'll be a witness there. Isn't it good to know that we have a God who declares the end from the beginning? He is the one who knows everything about us. And maybe you know your Bible like I hope you do. Your mind is already thinking about what Paul said in his swan song. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says some good things about having fought a good fight in verses 6 and 7, but drop down a little bit. 17 and 18 of 2 Timothy 4. Because there was all kinds of stuff going on in Paul's life. Not a whole lot of dead time in the life of the Apostle Paul. Even though people deserted him. A guy named Demas. He was a hero at one time. And he tells in this chapter how he become a zero. Demas is forsaken. The one who won't desert you is the Lord. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, Daniel, if you haven't read it before, chapter 6 of that book is delivered from the mouths of lions. They're cute little lions, but they probably weren't so cute, were they? They were fearsome critters. They weren't just little kids. But Paul here says, I was delivered from the mouth of the life. The God, the God we serve got me out of a tight more than once. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to be glory forever and ever. Amen. But I want us to focus not so much on going ahead, but being our re-reward our rear guard as some versions have put it or you see in an intelligently designed military force you've got an advanced group you've got scouts out there you've got the main body of your force but if you know what you're doing you want somebody watching out you don't want the enemy to surround you and start picking you off from the back. And so to have a rear guard. Go with me to the book of Numbers chapter 10 because it's important enough for the Lord to have mentioned this in His Word to let us know that He knows where we are and what's going on. Numbers chapter 10. They leave Mount Sinai and they're heading toward the promised land. And it tells us how the different tribes are arranged in their military procession. Or rather, they're, they're traveling to the promised land. Chapter 10 of Numbers, verse 25, And the standard of the camp of the children of Dan set forward which was the re-reward of all the camps throughout their hosts. So we find mention there. 
And then they come into the land, but before they can set up shop, so to speak, they've got some battles to fight. And we all know about the Battle of Jericho, don't we? They went round and round for days until the Lord gave them that city. Look at me please in chapter 6 of Joshua. We'll start at verse 9. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the reward came after the ark. So you got some folks, you got the ark, and behind it is the reward. Okay? And the reward came after the ark. The priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. So the ark of the Lord could pass the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. So we find mention of the reward where that word is used. Sometimes the word is used, but we get the imagery anyway. For example, in Exodus 14, it tells us, we're just talking about Moses. He's got the Hebrews, and they've gotten up to the Red Sea. They can't go forward. They can't go to the left or to the right or up or down. And they look behind and Here come the chariots of Egypt. And the Lord did not leave them in the lurch. He moved his pillars such that went back between them and the Egyptians. It gave light to the Hebrews and mystified. I do believe it phased, it terrorized those Egyptians. And uh, we were back in uh, Joshua chapter 6. I did read verse 8. The word reward is not used, but I think you can see the imagery here. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of Ramsworms passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. You say, say but was that the caboose? No. Behind the ark of the covenant was the reward as we just read. David, of course, knew a lot about military conflict. And probably his best known psalm is the 23rd. And he tells how the Lord has prepared this and prepared that. And the Lord is with him in a great and a mighty way. But you know, some people, they might think, yeah, the Lord's with me right now, but tomorrow I'm on my own. No. The Lord has got you covered. Past, present, and future. What's coming up behind? How does the last verse of the 23rd Psalm begin? Surely goodness and mercy shall 
follow me all the days of my life. When you're a child of God, you have God's ironclad guarantee. I'm with you, bud. No matter how many people might desert you, no matter how many fair-weather friends, John says, there were some folks for a while, oh, they're with us, and then they deserted. They went out from us because they were not of us. Yes. That swan song of Paul's, he says, only Luke is with me. There was a time there was a big bunch of folks moving around with Paul. And uh, things dwindled. Jesus preached one sermon in John 6. And thousands have been fed loaves and fishes. He preached the sovereign grace of God. And they were down to 12. Be a letdown to a lot of folks. The Lord has will you also. They were those who were still with Him. People might desert you. But God does not desert His precious people. That's right. One passage comes to my mind, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Something that really bugged me and bugged Marcia was a month or so ago. We went, oh, you know what? I'll do that. You're supposed to read my book. No good funeral. What was that, about a month ago? Two months ago. A dear lady. I was her pastor for 28 years. When her husband died, I preached his funeral and most of the church was there. When she passed, none of the members who were presently members of that church attended her funeral. That's just a shame. I mean, we were former members. But, uh, and she didn't move. It was in the same little town. You imagine somebody living in a town their whole life, and when they pass, now, her daughter was there, grandkids were there, friends were there, but not a single member. That's sad. That's a shame, folks. You can't do much about that except to learn from the past and say, I don't want that to be said of me. If you can, if you could, then you should. There's some wisdom behind that. But our God identifies Himself as our reward. If you wonder, does anybody have my back? The Lord does. Amen. He's the one who comes up behind. He's the one. What about the devil? He might. I got news for you. Even though he's the devil, he's God's devil. He's not going to get away with a thing that the devil. Or rather, the devil's not going to get away with a thing that God has not permitted him to do, just like those brothers or any other rascals you read about. I said rascal, not a rascal. 
important to remember. And so, coming, going, at the time, past, present, and future. Now, I don't find the word re-reward in the New Testament. You know, sometimes people say, I'm a New Testament Christian. I think what they mean is we don't bother reading the Old Testament. What Bible do you think they had before any of the New Testament books were written? If, if when Peter preached to the Ethiopian, he didn't pull out the book of Acts. He wants the book of Acts, part of it. Think about that. Jesus is a open to the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. No. Matthew's one of the guys in his crowd. So was John. Luke came along later. And uh, evidently Mark came along a little later too. Now all the Bible they had was what we call the Old Testament. That was God's Word up to that point. And sadly, if you're ignorant of the Old Testament, that's about two-thirds of your Bible. So uh, I get to reading it if I hadn't read it before. Now we saw already in 52, verse 12, that the term is used once more in the book of Isaiah in chapter 58 and verse 8. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily. When God operates, sometimes it's a gradual thing, and sometimes, wham, it's right there, right now. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. There's the advance guard. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. The one coming up behind. His glory. The capstone, if you will. That's why I asked Marcia to sing, He's everything to me. He's not just the advance guard. He's not the one who is the present aid in our distress. He's also the one that comes up behind. The great work of our God. He is everything to us, His people. It is a comprehensive thing. A few years before He passed, Brother Wayne Camp, I know some of you remember Brother Wayne Camp. For many years he labored the Lord's work till the Lord called him home. And uh, Brother Wayne had a situation when he was in Memphis. Uh, somebody broke into the church house and decided they were cold that winter night. And so they found some of his books and made a pile in his study and started a fire and burned out the library and a bunch of stuff in the church house. And he says, folks, if you hear me preach a sermon these days, it's brand new because all my old notes got burned up. You know, some preachers, they think, well, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in like Flynn. i got 10 years worth of sermons to rely on. Well, if they're not studying anymore, that, that's a problem. But, so he says, so none of you heard me preach this before. And he took us over to Exodus chapter 8. He says, our God is comprehensive. You know, I've noticed when I look at products, it'll say, 
It has this percent of this and this percent of that. Or it's guaranteed, one bug spray, guaranteed to kill 99.99% of all the bugs. <laughs> you know why they say that? Because if you found just one little bug, it wasn't 100%. So they say, well, what's the 0.01%? But God, in Exodus chapter 8, it records in the book of Exodus how that plagues were dumped upon the Egyptians. Pharaoh had said, I'm going to let you people go. Moses said, you're going to be sorry because God's going to deal with you. And there were flies. Imagine getting up in the morning, flies on your face. You go in and take a shower or bath, and you get up, and there's flies all over the place. You come in for your breakfast, and they probably didn't have cornflakes back then, but I say this for the sake of the kids that sit down and have breakfast. Flies in your cornflakes. Flies in your orange <laughs> juice. Flies all over the place. No. Oh, flies, flies everywhere. Well, look at me, please, I say. In chapter 8, when Pharaoh said, would you get rid of flies? Moses says, God can and God will do that. And look at verse 31. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. There remained not one. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But uh, I'll bet if I ask for a show of hands, not too many could say, you know, in my house, there's never been a fly. <laughs> never been any bugs. I told Marsha, my tongue halfway in the side of my mouth, she said, oh, I found some bugs. I said, where do you think they came from? Well, I think we brought some of them with us from Denver. I think some were already here. I said, I should have bought you a house without any bugs in it. Well, guess what? You got a hard time finding such a house. I believe it's in Proverbs that says even the rich folks have spiders in their homes. And yet God saw to it that throughout the whole land, when God is through and he gets rid of the flies, he gets rid of the flies. Not one remains. It's a comprehensive thing. And I want you to know it's a continuous thing. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 we're reminded that the Lord and it's actually a repetition that the Lord is with us. He is there. He does care. He's the one who carries us. And I want to close with 2 Corinthians chapter 1 because it's a question of past, present, and future. The salvation of God is not an on today, off today, off tomorrow arrangement. That's right. Some people would, well, I used to be saved, but then I wasn't. <coughs> and then I was again, and then I wasn't. You know, they make fun of us because we talk about our tulip. Some people have a daisy. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me not. They're just unsure. But the Bible tells us he has an overarching. His is an ever-present love. A love that 
can't be described in terms of what we talk about in this world. And because of that, he is the great deliverer. And that's what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 1. He's talking about our God, our great God, who delivered us from so great a death. If you're a saved man, woman, boy, or girl this morning, you used to be headed for hell with no prospect but judgment and then to be cast into the lake of fire. What changed? Did you turn over a new leaf? No, we learned about that in Sunday school, didn't we? It's not us making a decision. Sometimes people, well, I did this and I did that. Yeah, but how could you? How would you accept the Lord? We love Him because He first loved us, it says in 1 John. Hope we know that that's so. So Paul says, think about your God. He's already delivered you. And doth deliver. It's going on right here, right now. Yeah, but what about tomorrow? And guess what? In whom we trust that he will <laughs> deliver us. My brother, my sister, you may doubt me. You may doubt your best friend. You may doubt your closest relative. You may doubt yourself. But don't doubt the Lord. He has got you covered. He's with you right now. He always has been. And He always will be. Because He is our reward. I hope that's a blessing. Brother, can we have a song?